Hey, pull out your message notes. We're going to dive right into today's message. If you're watching online, you can download uh, the message notes through our church app. You can look it up in the app store, The Church TX, and the notes will be there for you to follow along. We're starting a new series entitled All Things New. We were going to do a relationship series, but due to the flooding, I really felt led to just do a whole different series to really respond to us as a city and to share God's word that's going to give us hope. So we'll go back into a relationship series. I'm not sure when, but this series we're going to camp on for a couple of weeks as the Lord directs us to. Now, here's the question. What do we do when things happen in our life that are bad, that hurt, and that destroy us? You know, when something goes wrong, what's our response? How, how, how do we get help? Where do we go for help? What is God's response in this situation? Does God care? Do people care? What do we do in the midst of a need in our life or in the life of the people in our series? And that's what this All Things New is all about. Responding to the need and then through God's power rebuilding lives so that he can be glorified and that ultimately people are directed to God. That's the goal of our lives. That's the goal of the church, that he would be glorified. That whatever the devil means for evil to destroy our lives, to destroy our city, to destroy our community, God will always find a people that can glorify him and turn this bad thing into something good. All things new. And I want you to know this. We all experience things in our lives where we have needs. It's not just this flood. For us, I think it's highlighted in this city the physical needs that we have, you know, for the last three weeks, we have been meeting physical needs of food and water and clothing and just the material things. And so it's really spotlighted the physical needs that people have. However, it's not just physical needs. How many know there are times in our lives where we have relational needs, where a relationship is not going right. Maybe it's a husband and wife. You might be in here this morning and all of your physical needs are met. You don't need food. You don't need water. You don't need the basic necessities of life. But the truth is, if you were honest, your marriage is falling apart. You're married to a person that you don't like. You can't stand. You're not getting along. How many know there is a desperate need for restoration in that relationship? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And that's okay. Can I tell you, you're in a safe place. Everybody goes through ups and downs and valleys and peaks and have good times and bad times. The key is get into a place where there are people that will help meet the need in our life. Maybe it's a child that you have. You've got someone that now as they're in their early 20s and they've moved out of their house and they started doing things that you didn't raise them to do. You're trying to lead them into the right path, and they're rebelling and saying, no, I don't want to go the way that you raised me. I'm going to go sow my wild oats, and there has been a separation in that relationship. How many know you're in need relationally? You can also be in need spiritually. Some of you here today, if we were just honest, you, you, you don't have a relationship with God. And so you may know about God, you may have heard about God, but the truth is you don't know God. Well, there is a desperate need spiritually for you to have that relationship with God. And so maybe you're here and you had a relationship with God. But you started to turn your back on God. You started to go down the path that he set you free from. And you now are making decisions that don't glorify God. They're not in the right direction. There is a need in your life spiritually. And I want you to know there's a place where you can get help. Some of you, maybe it's an emotional need. Anybody ever hit a brick wall? Emotionally. Maybe you just, 
You know, everything begins to go crazy. You, you start walking in anxiety and fear. You're afraid of the future. You're afraid your husband's going to leave. You're afraid your kids are going to turn their back. Everything is just, you're anxious, you're nervous. There's fear. Things are happening emotionally. And the truth is, you've hit a brick wall. You have nowhere else to go, and you don't know how to get help. That is a need that we can have as people. And so we've got to realize that it's not just what we've seen here in the flood, but each and every one of us in our lives, at some point, we experience a need. And so as the church, this is what we ask ourselves, how do we help those in need? How do we bring relief to those whose lives are maybe devastated? Maybe it is your family. Maybe it is your marriage. Maybe it is emotionally on the inside you're a basket case. What is it that you do? How do we help people in their life? Well, the first thing is this. Helping people comes in two stages. The first one is relief. When someone has a need, we go and bring relief. Relief is temporary help during and after a crisis. So a great example of that would be this flood. We saw a immediate need that needed to be met. So we brought relief. We set up this Brazos River Flood Recovery Center. We began to give them food and water and clothing and meet the immediate need. But it's right after the crisis happens, maybe in a marriage, we see relief brought when someone finds out their spouse was having an affair. And so you begin to counsel them the moment they find out. And you go and spend time with the husband or the wife, or both of them. And it's this time of crisis, and you're there right in the moment to help bring relief. Maybe it's a death that's taken place. You'll notice relief happens the moment someone passes away. What do we do? We make phone calls. What do we do? We go bring them food and lots of food. We want to make sure they don't have to cook for themselves. And you want to make sure the family is taken care of. And then everybody shows up at the funeral and we show support. We're bringing relief in this time of tragedy to people who are in need. But then once we get past the relief stage, now there's a stage called restoration. Restoration is the long-term relationship to rebuild wholeness. So an example of the person who passed away, restoration is there after the funeral. Restoration is there when they celebrate the person's first birthday now that they're gone, when they celebrate Christmas and Easter and all the holidays and all the times they would have had now that this person is gone. Relief was there, but restoration says, I'm here for the long haul. And in this flood recovery effort, we're beginning to move from immediate relief now to restoration. You'll see us stop trying, not stop trying, but there's not really the need for the food and the water. And though we're going to continue to get it out for the next couple of weeks, what people need are people to walk beside them in the third month, in the sixth month, in the ninth month, in the first year, in the second year, as they're still trying to build their homes that have been destroyed, as they're putting uh, uh, sand and stuff and trying to raise their slabs, as they're trying to raise their piers and beams above the flood stage, as they're going in day in and day out when they need school supplies because school's going to start up and they don't have any school supplies. It's walking through the marriage counseling because of the stress that this flood has put in their life. It's people saying, listen, I'm not just going to bring relief. I'm going to bring restoration, which is the wholeness of God. That's the beauty of the church, right? Because the church is, we're here for the long haul. 
The church is, we're, we're not only here to bring you relief, we're here to help you fix your marriage. Not that we can fix it, but we can point you to the one that can fix it. We're here to help you with your children. Yeah, they may be acting like little devils now, but I know a God that can turn them around into angels. Yeah, that, that's the beauty of it is that, see, we're not here just to release. Like, we're going to go till the last board is nailed back on their house. Why? Because these are our people. This is our city. This is our church. And we're here to restore what the devil tried to steal. It's wholeness. It's restoration. And it's the ultimate goal of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That though we meet a natural need, though we need physical needs, there's so many other needs that we as the church are equipped to help meet the needs of. And we really see this process of relief and restoration in the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, I'm not going to read it all because of time's sake, but it's Luke chapter 10, verse 30. And uh, many of you are familiar with this, and I just want to point out those principles that I just talked about. There's a guy who's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and on his road to Jericho, he's beat up by some robbers. They, they just jack him, and they beat him up, and he's left for dead. And Jesus is sharing this parable. So the guy's left on the side of the road, and there are a couple of people that come by. The first two pass by. They don't help. They don't bring any relief. They, they just, sure, it's awesome. Good luck. How many have ever had those kinds of friends? Good luck. <laughs> Let us not be those kinds of friends. Let us be like this one that he talks about, the good Samaritan, who was the outcast, who was the lowest of low, who's, who was shunned by society, who no one wanted to be around. And yet Jesus talks about this Samaritan going to this person and doing the first thing, which is bringing relief. How do we see that? Well, he goes in and he wraps his wounds. He puts oil and he puts wine on the wounds. And then he sets the man on the donkey. And so he takes this man after he meets the immediate need, bringing relief he takes him and puts him on the donkey and takes him to what would be known as a hotel, an inn. And that innkeeper, he tells him, listen, this man's beat up. He's almost been left for dead. I've started the relief effort. What I need you to do is nurse him back to health, get him back to wholeness, and I'll pay whatever it costs. So now we see the process of restoration that no matter how long it takes, no matter what the cost, what does the Good Samaritan say? He says, listen, I'll pay the price. Why? Because I didn't want to just bring relief. I want to bring wholeness. And that's the way the church has to be. And I'm asking us as a church to continue with the mentality that says we're not in it just for the 30, 45 days, but we're in it till the end. I believe that God is going to use us, that their kids, the people who have been affected, their kids will say, I remember the church that got up and helped us rebuild our house. I was eight years old and now I go to the church or I go to a church and praise God he used people to help restore our lives. That's so what has to happen. And so really what has happened too is it's forced us to have a conversation that is really a bigger conversation than, we were than what we were having before this. Now, I live in Bonbrook, and many of you have heard the story. Uh, we moved to Rosenberg in 2011, and it wasn't until God commissioned us to launch this church in 2012 that I had actually even driven down the streets of Rosenberg. I lived in Bonbrook, and I commuted into Stafford at the church that I had moved here to help start with Pastor Randy and Renee Clark, and it was awesome. Things were going great. We went to Sugarland Town Center. You know, we were at Brazos uh, Town Center right here occasionally, but never had I ever even been inside of Rosenberg. 
And so I didn't understand the dynamics of what's taking place. And there are a lot of people, that's the same thing. You, you commute into Houston or we commute into Houston and you go to Kroger's, you go to HEB, you go to all the different stores that are on the outlying sides of Rosenberg. But let me tell you, there's a whole nother side of Rosenberg. Rose Rich, baby. I have been schooled. And my people is Rose Rich. And there is more to life than that, than just what we have seen on this outskirts. There's a whole nother side. And what we have in many ways brushed under the rug, and I'm not saying we, but just has, is, is this concept of poverty. I don't know if you've ever been to Mud Alley and ever been down those streets. See, see some people don't even know what I'm talking about, but how many of you know what I'm talking about, Mud Alley? Yeah, there, there's this. So, so what has happened is there are people that live in our city that don't have running water and they don't have electricity. And many people have blinded eyes because we just don't know. But a conversation has begun and that conversation is there is poverty in our city. So how do we help address poverty? And, and I think as a church, that's what we're called to do is help elevate people's lives, that we're not going to allow people to stay where they're at. We're going to help elevate them to the way God has called them to live, that there's more to life than what they've known in the past. And it's really started a conversation about poverty. You know, I, I think people are waking up and I'm having conversations with, with the EDC and Sugarland and some of the different places. And, and, you know, we have a housing problem. We have a transportation problem. We have all kinds of jobs problems that most people don't know about. But the root of it is poverty. How do we address poverty? And when we talk about that, we've got to first ask the question, what is poverty? What is poverty? So many people, and most of us, would say poverty is a lack of something material. It's really a lack of food and water. It's a lack of electricity, maybe good access to health care. You know, that's really what poverty is. It's no money, and it's a lack of things that we have on the outside, the material things. However, the World Bank did a survey that I found super interesting. 60,000 people were surveyed. These were the poorest of poor in poor countries. Let me know the poorest of poor and poor countries. They know what poverty is. Now, the thing that I found that was so interesting is they defined it differently than we as Americans. We say, well, I didn't have this and I didn't have that. When they were surveyed, the way they defined poverty is the fact that it's a mindset. So many times we deal with the fruit of poverty and not the root of poverty. That poverty is more than just not having things. It's the way we think. And the way we think causes us to live in what we see as expressed poverty. And so for them, it's the feelings of shame. It's, it's, it's the feelings of worthlessness and fear. Like I'm constantly living in fear in my mind. I'm, I'm battling all these thoughts. I'm humiliated. I'm hopeless. And one of the greatest things that they said was that they feel trapped there's no way out. There's no hope for me that it's a mentality and it's a mindset that we're going to have to fight. What we have to help people see is just because you have a need doesn't mean you're poor. Let me say that again. Just because you have a need does not mean that you're poor. How many know we all have needs? We all have things in our life that we need to get help from. And so if we're not careful as we go in to help the city, as we go in to help people, a mindset will happen that those are the poor people. That's them over there. No, baby, we're all poor in some way, in some level in our lives. That it's not an us 
versus them, but there's got to be this shifting in our minds that we refuse to accept a mentality that will create this poverty society in our city. Look at Proverbs 23, 7. See, a mentality will begin to creep in. We've got to fight that mentality. I'm poor because I don't have stuff. It says this, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. So, is, so if you think you're poor, how many know you're going to be? So if you think that my marriage will never be restored, how many know your marriage is never going to be restored? If you think God will never save your kids, you're going to sabotage what God tries to do as he brings your kids back to him. And so there's this mentality that we have to fight that we're not a poor city. We're a city being rebuilt by the power of God. And I'll tell you this. You could take everything away from me and put me in the middle of a city. I ain't going to be poor for long. Why? Because it's the mentality of I'm not a victim. God gives us wisdom. He gives us strength. If we'll follow his command, we'll live the life he's called us to live. We'll actually bring heaven to earth. He didn't call us to be poor. And so in the midst of a disaster like this, we have an opportunity to say, hey, listen, you may be poor with material things, but you ain't poor, baby. I I have areas where I'm poor in my life. Together, we're going to see God fulfill the richness of his kingdom in our lives. We refuse to allow this mentality to hold us back and to lock us into poverty. Have you guys ever heard of Roger Bannister? I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He's the first man to run a mile in less than four minutes. So uh, in 1954, he broke the four-minute mile barrier. Now, it may not sound like a big thing to you, but let me tell you the backstory. For over 3,000 years, they have kept records for track and field and running. And 3,000 years, the experts have said it is humanly impossible to run a mile in less than four minutes. In fact, some of the experts said, if you try to run a mile in four minutes, your body will explode. Like your heart will come out your chest and you will physically die on the spot. Well, Roger Bannister is just a little cray-cray. He probably came from like the church or something. And just said, I refuse. So even in the midst of good natural science, something on the inside of him said, listen, I don't believe you experts. In fact, I'm going to train. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do everything I can to break this barrier that you have placed on people. I don't believe what you say. I believe we can, I can break this barrier of the four-minute mile. So in 1954, guess what happens? He's running. If you've ever seen the video, it's amazing. He just running, running, running. First man to ever break the four-minute mile. He broke the barrier because he refused to be limited by people's thinking. So let me tell you something that gets even better than that. Thousands of years, nobody has ever broken that barrier until he breaks it. Here's the cool thing. Within a decade, 10 years, 336 other people break that four-minute mile record. So what did he do? He broke barriers. He broke limitations. And I believe this, that there are those of you in this place that God's going to use you because you refuse to accept labels. You have refused to stay in the status quo. You say, can I make a difference? You absolutely can make a difference. You live your life and refuse to be labeled with this label of poverty that I don't have enough, that there's lack, because my God shall supply all of our needs according to his riches and his glory. And then as we live our lives, as we help people out, we're going to break barriers in this city. I believe the city's not going to go back to the way it was. It's going to be better than it ever was. 
And I've had people say, no, pastor, it won't, it won't, it won't. I don't care what anybody else says. There's a church in Rosenberg, Texas. Can't speak for everybody else. We're going to do everything we can to rebuild better than it ever was. We have to fight the lie of the enemy that you're never, it's impossible, you can't, people won't. No, no, my God can do anything. There is nothing that is impossible with God. So we've got to fight this lie. You know what? God cares about our needs, and he cares about the needs of the people in our city. Matthew 25 really talks about this, and I'm going to paraphrase it for time's sake as well. This is where Jesus is at the final judgment. I shared it a couple of weeks ago, and he is separating the sheep from the goats. The sheep are on the right, goats are on the left, and he's talking to them, and he says this. It really gives the heartbeat of Jesus for our city and for our people. He says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then all the, 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 the sheep, they're like, what are you talking about, Jesus? When did we do this? And he goes on and he makes this statement. He says, you did it. Look at verse 20, uh, verse 40 of chapter 25. Whatever you did... For the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for, for me. And doesn't it give the heartbeat of God that he cares about everyone in need? He cares about the poor. He cares about those that society might have overlooked. He cares about each and every one of us that are sitting here with needs, saying, God, I have a need. He cares about that need. And when we as people meet the needs of others, you're not just meeting that person's needs. It's as if you're doing it for Jesus himself. Amen. What an amazing thought what an amazing response to us to say, God, I'm doing it for you. And ultimately, let me tell you this, everything we do has to point back to God. Why? Because we're just the conduits. Listen, you can't save anybody. I can't save anybody. Jesus is the only one that saves people. And his commission and his purpose is to bring freedom in the lives of those who we are around. That everywhere we go, they would experience the freedom that he brings. We see this in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. This is a verse where Jesus goes into the temple and he declares for the very first time who he is. He's making a public declaration. He's not in the shadows. He's not hiding. He's telling us and everyone that was around, this is my purpose and I want you to follow suit. Look at what he says. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for those that are blind and to set oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So what did he come to do? Basically, he came to set us free. He came to deliver us. He came to help the poor spiritually, the poor physically, the poor emotionally, the poor relationally, that no matter what poverty you're experiencing, don't allow that label to, to wrap itself around you and the mentality that the world has say, I reject that, God. You came to give me freedom in my marriage. You came to give me freedom in my family, in my finances, in the natural things of life. Everywhere I need freedom, I get it from you. And as Christ's followers, as disciples, what's our response? 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, clearly talks about our response. It says, this is how we know what love is. So he's going to give an example. What is love? What, what is love? Is it, is it the lust that I see with guys and girls? Is it some of the behaviors that we see to get 
giving to get. No, no, no. He's going to say, listen, I want you to see the greatest picture in our lives that demonstrates what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. It's the greatest act of love we could ever see or experience. It says, and we ought to, everybody say it, lay down our lives. So here's an example. We're to follow his example. Now, now listen, I'm not talking to unbelievers. Someone may be in here today. You're like, well, I ain't a Christian. Well, I'm not talking to you if you're not a Christian. But if we're believers, if we've had a salvation experience, we are mandated to follow the example of the one that saved us. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, look at this. How can the love of God be in that person? Isn't that interesting? I pray all the time, God, don't let me be callous. God, don't let me walk past the homeless person or those that are in need and just sit on my high horse and say, well, I'm good. No, no, God, give me your love. Give me your compassion that you have for that person so that I can respond in the way that you responded. It says, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Isn't that what the church has done? I mean, you guys have done this in such a profound way. We hadn't just said we love you. Listen, we have given thousands of dollars to help in this flood relief. You have given thousands of hours volunteering. And that's just one way that we've seen it demonstrated in the natural. Not to mention the other ways that we have helped the people that are here in our church in whatever need they have in their life. But we must continue to say, God, I'm going to love people with the actions of my life. So how do we do it? The first thing is this. we got to continue to receive God's love. His love for people. You know, I mean, many of you have had a salvation experience. You received the saving love of God, the grace, the power of God in our lives. But getting love for people, I mean, you know, I need to be recharged with God's love sometimes. Anybody ever met stupid people? I mean, anybody ever met people that frustrate you? Anybody ever met people that aggravate you? Anybody ever met smart people that aggravate you? I mean, you know, at the end of the day, people are people. And so there is this refilling of, God, fill me up with your love for people. And, and, and we have to say, God, I want more of that so that I can be your hands and feet. And I ask myself this question all the time. Have I laid my life down for others? Have I served others? Have I given to others? Have I sacrificially given where it hurts? Maybe it's financially. Maybe it's with my time. Maybe it's with my talent. And if the answer is no, then I need more of God's love because it's God's love that compels us. We don't need a pastor up here. You don't need a pastor up here that shames you into action. I'm not here to beat you up and say, well, you ain't doing enough. No, no. You know what I'll tell you? Why don't we just give more of God's love? God, let me give more of your love. God, more of your compassion, more of your empathy. And as we do that, you know what? I'll be the first one to go out these doors and lead us into action. Why? Because we're full of God's love. So it's a love factor. Ephesians 5, verse 1 and 2, I love this, giving selflessly and extravagantly. It says, watch what God does. And this is the message version, which I love so much. It says, and then you do it. So watch what he does, and then you do it. So you imitate him, like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. So God's our father. We're learning how to behave based on what he has done. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. I love the fact that learn a life of love. 
How many of you have ever been in school? I got any college students, any high schoolers, junior highs, any trade school? You, you know, learning it doesn't stop when the class is over. I mean, learning is a lifelong process that we continue to learn. So I fall short all the time. The other day I did something that was pretty selfish, and I just said, God, help me. That was pretty selfish. I need more love. And so we're called to continue to learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but everybody say that word together. Extravagant. 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 He didn't love others in order to get something. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. And he says, love like that. Love like that. How many love your kids? You're like, I'm going to raise my hand even though I don't always like them. How many love your kids enough to put up with them? Nobody's sent your kid off for adoption yet, have you? You're like, no, not yet, but that is a great idea. It's awesome. I'm sending them to youth camp. <laughs> yeah, you love your kids. How many know because you love your kids, you'll put up with the mess that they give you? Anybody ever had your kids back talk you? Woo, hold oh, what? Back in the days, boy, they don't know nothing about that, huh? We used to get beat. You know what I'm talking about? Daddy didn't beat us. <clears throat> Not too bad. <laughs> Can't lie on stage. <laughs> They, so, so, but you know, we'll put up with it. Like things happen. But how many got your friends' kids who come over? The neighbors. You ever had the neighbors come over? How much you love them? <laughs> I had some neighbors over there the other night. Hopefully they're not here. I'm like, hey, I think your mama's calling you. <laughs> no, no, she's not. No, no, I think she is. Look, look, she's, yeah. You don't put up with it too much. You know, they back talk you. You ain't, it ain't, no, no, you need to go home, boy. You need to go home, girl. Why? Because there's no love connected with it. But when there's love, we tolerate the mistakes. We tolerate the things that happen. And sometimes we can say, well, I can't believe they did that. They did that because they're hurting. People were mean and ugly to you because on the inside they've been devastated. And so when you love them, it's like, that's all right. You know, my kids do dumb things at times. They back talk, they say things, they do things. Sometimes I want to beat them, but I always go back to loving them. And that's where we say, God, I need more of your love. The second thing is we're called to serve others. Once we're full of the love of God, we've got to serve others. Serve them. Serve them. Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And that's what we've been doing out in the BF Terry uh, cafeteria. That's what Pastor Brian has been doing, going house to house with Roxy. I think I saw Roxy raise your hand. Her whole team. How many appreciated them? And they go in house to house and water. And all of our youth, man. Everybody, Maddie, wave your hand, Maddie, going door to door and passing all the stuff out. I mean, they're serving and giving without strings attached. It's selflessly and making sure that they feel that God loves them. It's one thing for us to say, God bless you. It's another thing to provide for them. Yeah, I have to tell you this. I'm not really as concerned as proselytizing people. And what that means is having to convert people. You know, maybe my philosophy is a little different. I've always said from the very beginning, we'll do anything short of sin to reach people. Like, I don't have to proselytize with my words. I proselytize with our actions. Because when you go meet the need, and they need water, and you give them water, how many know they're going to say, why are you doing this? I'm glad you asked. There's a God in heaven that loves you. 
In fact, he loves you so much, he provided for us to be here to start this church three years ago. And not only start a church, but to have a church that's blessed, that has money in reserves, that can provide this, give this, and help you all the way through. Why? Because God loves you and we're just the conduits. Actions. Actions, serving people. That's what's going to bring a city to God. That's what's going to call people to say there must be a God in heaven because most people wouldn't act like this. And then lastly is this, as we get ready to close, is this, we need to build bridges. As we serve people, we got to build bridges to God and bridges to people. Ultimately, what we're doing is so that God can connect with them. And I've seen it more and more, man. People are so open in time of disaster. People that were hard to... I've had atheists be open to talking about God and even ask me to pray for them. Why? Because we're just building bridges to God. You know, we're, we're not putting up walls. Walls are when we do things that don't glorify God. We've got, we got to say, no, no, God would serve. God would give. God doesn't have strings, and neither are we. We're just going to love you. Why? Because ultimately, everything we do should tether you back to God, and then we get out of the way. Man, he's real. He's alive. And when someone has an encounter with God, their life will never be the same. And then the second thing is we're building bridges. We've got to build bridges to people. Just build bridges to people. Can I tell you relationships are the key to restoration? Relationships are the key to restoration. See, you can give relief without relationship, but you can't give restoration without relationship. So, Dwayne, where you at? Come here, Dwayne. I want to I want to show you guys. So, so let me just talk about. So, Dwayne is going to be someone this morning that has experienced some immediate need. So, life knocks him off his feet. He's been knocked down. So whatever you want to call it, we're going to say right now it's the flood. Now, truthfully, he couldn't, he wouldn't fall because of that. He'd knock me off my feet. But we're not going to. I saw somebody laughing about that. I know he's bigger than me. You're doing good. You didn't know about them guns. So here, so, so Dwayne's been knocked off his feet. So let's say with the flood relief, a man, Dwayne needs some help. He, he's not poor. He's in need. And so what relief can do sometimes, if it's just relief, is, hey, brother, love you, man. God bless you. No, no, you're good, bro. We're good. I, I'm going to go back to my life. Hey, I did my part. You're good. Just take that money. God bless you. So that's relief. Did I put money in his pocket? Yes or no? So is he going to have some of his needs met? Yes. But you cannot bring restoration without relationship. So here's us as the church. Though relief is good, though we need people that will give some handouts, we're not looking to give handouts. We're looking to give hand ups. We're looking to come alongside you long term. We're looking to be with you as long as God would have us be with you. And so instead of this, man, Dwayne, I see life has knocked you off your feet. And I'm not only going to give you money, brother. Hey, look, come on, let's get up. We're going to get up and we're going to walk through this thing together. And listen, not only am I going to be with you, I'm going to still meet your need. Here's some money in your pocket. Go buy some school supplies. Go do whatever it is that you need to do. But listen, we're going hand in hand, and we're going to walk this thing out together, and we're not going to stop until you are fully restored back to the better condition than when you got knocked down. That's restoration. And then people in the church, listen, man, we're arm in arm. We're, we're in this for the long haul. So now let me tell you this. So situations try to knock him off. Try, no, he ain't going to fall. Why? Because we got him. 
Then, huh? So it's going to be harder for us to get knocked down. Why? Because restoration always multiplies the strength. Why? Because there's partnership. We're doing this thing together, baby. We ain't going to fall. Say, I'm about to fall. He's going to help me back up. Why? Because restoration is about relationships. We're only as strong as our relationships. And then what happens is we have a church, and that's what we've seen in this, this time of need. It has been amazing. Linking arms and saying, hey, you may be down, but you ain't going to stay down. You got a need? Hey, if I can't provide for your needs, somebody in here is going to provide for this need. Why? Because that's what family does. Thank you, brother. And if I could tell you one thing about Rosenberg and Richmond is y'all know what family's about. We know what family's about. I feel like this, this is my city. I know I say Brazos, and it's Brazos. I know we say reading, and it's reading. But I'm going to give my life till I die to this place. This is our city. These are our people. Some of you sitting here even this morning, listen, you got a need. Maybe it's not this flood, and I think that flood just caused us to have a bigger conversation. Maybe it is your marriage. Listen, we don't care that you just got in a fight before you pulled up. The reality is, thank God you walked through those doors in the midst of that fight. We don't care if you fall back and you slip back into the old habits, the old addictions. Thank God you came here this morning for help. That there's a body of people that are saying, listen, I'm not just going to, it ain't just about trying to meet this need and relief. Yes, it's about restoration. We're going to walk with, we ain't giving handouts, we're giving hand ups. To teach how to let God move in your life. That's what I love about it. And that's the power of church. Is that church is family for life. But you have to choose. This is the interesting thing. You have to choose. You have to choose to be a part of it. I had a family this morning that said, Pastor, I just want you to know, our family has decided this is our church. You know what they made a decision about? That they chose this family to walk with their family through their life. And so many of you have made that decision. It's awesome. But restoration is a two-way street. Like we're committed. But you commit with us and let's together, let's see lives restored. Bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm going to just pray. God, I sent your presence in this place. Lord, I'm so thankful for what you're doing. We didn't expect to have this conversation. I know I didn't today. God, just last week, I was going in a different direction two weeks ago. But God, this is a conversation you want us to have. And Lord, I thank you for the thousands of people that say, God, we're going to let you be God. We're going to be your hands. We're going to be your feet. And Lord, regardless of what people say, I've been in those meetings that it'll never be back the way it was. This city's going to be worse off. There's no way we could do it. People won't. God, I reject that mentality. We reject that mindset. We reject that. And we choose to believe that, God, you are greater than any situation. That, Lord, you are greater inside of us to bring the relief to those that need it. And, Lord, I pray those that have not walked in the freedom of poverty will walk in it. They're going to be connected. Those that were spiritually poor, that didn't know you, God, I pray for thousands of people to come to know you. 
families that were already on the verge of just being destroyed, God coming together like never before, uniting under something greater than themselves, marriages that were on the rocks, God, that you would bring healing. And God, not just back to normal, but better than normal, more in love than ever before. And Father, even out of this, let businesses be created. Let people have ideas and inventions and collaboration. And Lord, I've already seen it. Republicans and Democrats working together. Denominations working together. People coming together that normally would never have come together. God, that you're uniting us for a cause that's greater than ourselves. We thank you for that in Jesus' name.